It is true that Christ will hold us fast. And not only do we know and trust that he'll do that, but we know how he will do it. He holds us fast by the ministry of his word, blessed by the power of his spirit. And so we turn to that word now. And you can see in your bulletin that we're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 today. And today we're getting back to what has been our ongoing sermon series entitled The Habits of Grace. We're getting back to that theme today, the habits of grace, the Christian life that we're called to live. It is a life that is all about experiencing the grace of God. And it's a life in which we experience that grace in part as he graciously blesses our own regular efforts to seek him and serve him. And so we call this the habits of grace. And lately in our sermon series, we've been focusing on the elements of worship that make up our church service on Sunday mornings. What exactly do we do as a matter of habit, as a matter of custom, starting at 9 a.m. on Sundays. Well, last time, this goes back a few weeks, last time the particular habit that we focused on was the weekly activity of listening to the sermon, listening to the preaching of the Word. And it's been a few weeks, so remember where we turned last time. It was First Thessalonians. Because there, Paul gave thanks to God for the way they listened to the preaching of the word. He said, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So he he gave thanks for this. They accepted the word by the grace of God, They accepted it as the word of God, which it truly was. They accepted that word in order to be worked on, right? In order to be changed, and we do too. And they accepted the word in spite of opposition. And they faced it. And in many ways, we do too. So that was last time. The last time that we were here in this particular sermon series... That was April 2nd. That was the beginning of April. That brings us to this Sunday. That brings us to the end of April. We're getting back to this theme. So we're focusing on the elements of worship that make up our church service. Well, the very next place for us to go, as we think about where the worship service goes, is the Lord's Supper. That's what comes next. That's what happens next. So for several weeks now, we've been talking about the ministry of the word in worship, the reading of the word, the preaching of the word, the hearing of the word. Well, as it's often put, it's a pair. Ours is a ministry of word and sacrament. Word and sacrament. So every Sunday in the worship service, you know the drill. We make our way from the reading and the preaching and the hearing of the word to the administration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That's one of our habits, too. That is one of the church's habits of grace. And when we make our way to the subject of the Supper, 
1 Corinthians is a very good place to go because Paul talks about it here in chapter 11. So you can see in your bulletin that we're going to train our attention on the passage beginning at verse 23. But let me read for us beginning at verse 17. And this is characteristic of 1 Corinthians. Paul has some stern words for them because he's heard that these are Christians who've lost sight of some important things and it's beginning to show in the way that they live, in the way that they live together as a congregation. So even with respect to the Lord's Supper, he has some stern words for them and he needs needs to bring them back. So listen now, beginning at verse 17. He says, In the following instructions I do not commend you, Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it, in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is the word of God. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for your word. That's what we believe about the words that we've just heard. That these are not just ancient words written by Paul. But this is a living word. Inspired by your spirit. So that we have heard your voice now. And we would hear it yet again. For we would grow in our understanding of these words. And we would rise from our hearing to be doers as well. And this can only be by your grace. And so we ask for that grace and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is an expression that folks will deploy sometimes. It's an expression that they'll use when someone else is telling them something that's already familiar to them, some fact that they already know, some insight that they're already privy to, it's the response, tell me something I don't already know. Tell me something I don't already know. It can be a snide thing to say, or it can be a gentle, funny thing to say, depending upon the moment, depending upon the relationship, Tell me something I don't already know. 
In other words, this is familiar to me. I've heard this before. I know this fact. I'm in on this insight. You've bored me. Let's move on. Let's move on to something that's unfamiliar to me, something that's unknown to me, something that I'm not in on. Tell me something I don't already know. As I said, it can be a gentle, funny thing to say. It can be a cheeky, harmless thing to say when you just want to needle a friend and make them smile. But it's not harmless. It's not harmless at all if it becomes a whole mindset. It's not harmless at all if you start going through life that way. You can get to the point that you're practically going through life too proud to be reminded of something that you already know. Too impatient to giving your time to being reminded of something that you've heard before. Maybe many, many times before. Too full of yourself to go back to the basics. And when it comes to the gospel, that whole mindset, that prideful mindset is positively poisonous. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to God's word, we deeply, vitally need to be reminded. We need to hear things that we already know, things that we've heard before, maybe many, many times before. And surely one of them is the message of Jesus dying on the cross to save sinners. The message of Jesus atoning death on the cross, that's gospel 101. That's basic Christianity. That's a a message that we've heard countless times before, and we deeply, vitally need to keep hearing it. And in the Lord's Supper, every Sunday, we do. And we should be grateful for it. One way of thinking about the weekly administration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in in our services of worship on Sunday mornings is this. It's our weekly opportunity to say to Christ, Lord Tell me something I already know. Lord Jesus, please, again, tell me something I already know. I already know that you died to save sinners. The Christian can say that you died to save me. Lord, tell me again. Lord, proclaim it again. And Lord Jesus says, I will. And not only that, but he says, I will, I will proclaim it through you, my church. I'll proclaim it again, that I died to save sinners, that I died to save you, and I'll proclaim it through you, because you, my dear ones, are my proclaimers now. Every time you eat and drink. And that is the message of what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 11. That's the implication of the instructions that he gives them here about the administration of the sacrament of the supper. Every time we eat and drink, we proclaim something that we already know because we need to hear it again and again. So let's make our way here. And let me tell you now how we're going to proceed. The first thing I want to do is simply reflect upon this passage. Let's see what Paul says here. We'll walk through it. And then after we've done that, I want to build on it 
and reflect together on why it is that we do have the Lord's Supper every week here. So we'll think about that as well. So let's start with what Paul says here in this passage. And to get our bearings, yes, we're focusing on the passage beginning at verse 23, but you just heard what Paul says leading up to it in verses 17 through 22. He scolds them. And he does that because of what he's heard about their worship services. He's heard that they're treating the Lord's Supper in a way that makes it very clear that they are not understanding it, they are not respecting it as the Lord's Supper that it is. In the Corinthian church, it's virtually become a free-for-all when they have the supper in their services. It's a kind of feeding and drinking frenzy that has no sense of decorum and kindness and spirituality and meaningfulness about it. So he's heard this about them. He's heard this about the way they're treating the supper, and he won't stand for it. And so he says, in effect, i got to take you back to the basics. I need to remind you of Jesus instituting this sacrament. He says, hear again what Jesus himself said that night, so that you're brought back to the basics, so that you're brought back to your senses. So look now at verse 23. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And that very preface is noteworthy. I received from the Lord and then I delivered it to you. What he's saying there is that the instructions that he's given to the churches about the administration of the sacrament at the Lord's Supper, he didn't make them up. He didn't invent them. He got them in one way or another, from Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't say there if he's talking about the tradition that was handed over and finally handed over to him by others, perhaps by other apostles. Or if he's talking about some kind of direct revelation that he got from Christ himself, or if it was some combination of those two. Paul doesn't say, and that's okay. What's clear enough is what we need to know. The instructions that he's given to the churches about the supper, including the instructions that he's given to the Corinthians before, and he's giving those instructions again. He didn't make them up. Didn't invent them. He got them from Jesus, whether directly or indirectly or both. And then, after that preface, after that way of getting into it, then he goes on to say what those instructions were what that teaching was that he had gotten from Jesus that he was bound to pass over to them. He goes on to remind the Corinthians of the kinds of things that are recorded for us in the gospel. So what does Paul go on to say? Look again at verse 23. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
So there is Paul reminding them of the kinds of things we've heard many times before, what's recorded for us in the Gospels. He reminds them that it was Christ himself who instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper the night before he died. It's something that Christ did when he and his disciples had gathered for the purpose of the Passover feast. And already that night, he's anticipating the death that he's going to die the next day. Already that night, he's putting in place for the church forever, at least until he comes back, a ritual, symbolic feast that will have the effect, every time it's administered, it will have the effect of reminding the church of the death that he died. And he incorporates two elements, bread and wine, into that feast. Bread and wine. The bread symbolizes his body sacrificed. The blood, or the wine, symbolizes his blood shed. And then he says this, verse 26, and here is our habit. Verse 26, here is our habit of grace. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's our habit. That's our habit of grace. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now that one verse is rich when we think about what happens here every Sunday. He says, as often. That means every time the supper is served, there's a proclamation going on. Every time. As often. He also says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, that means it's not just the fact that I'm up here as a minister doing certain things and saying certain things whenever the supper is served. It's not just the supper being served by me. It's also the supper being received by you. It's your participation and mine. You eat this bread and drink the cup. So that matters too. And he says, whenever this happens, you proclaim. And he's saying that to the whole church. That means we're all in on this. Again, it's not just the words that I say as a minister when the supper is served. I'm not the only proclaimer when we have the supper. We're all in on this. As a church, as a congregation, as a body, as a family, we proclaim the Lord's death when we eat and drink. The very fact that we all participate in it makes it a shared testimony. You've got something to say. And you say it when you participate in the supper. Just by eating and drinking, by eating and drinking with faith, you're taking a stand. You're saying, here I stand. Here's what I believe. Here's what I stand for in the world. You proclaim. And, he says, you proclaim the Lord's death. That means it's the message 
of Jesus dying on the cross that rings out from that table. And from what happens there and from what happens in this room when the elements are served and we eat and drink. And to be clear, it's not just the bare fact that the man Jesus died. It's the meaning of his death as well. It's not just that Jesus of Nazareth died that day by means of crucifixion at the hands of the Romans because of silly Pilate. It's more than that. It's what it meant. It's what was really going on, invisible to the naked eye. It's that Jesus was bearing the wrath of the Father in our place as he was dying. It's the meaning of his death as well. And where do you find that? You find it all over Scripture. You find it, for example, in Isaiah 53. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what you, what we proclaim when you eat and drink. Where else do you find that meaning? You find it in Mark 10 on Jesus' own lips. Mark 10. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, not just that Jesus died, but what it meant, what he was gaining, what he was accomplishing, what he was purchasing for us, that is what you proclaim when you eat and drink as often as the supper is served. And then finally he says, until he comes. And note that too. Until he comes. This supper isn't going to be served forever. This merely symbolic ritual feast isn't going to be served forever. A day is coming when he is coming. And on that day, when he comes, this merely symbolic ritual feast will give way to another one. It will give way to what Jesus predicted in Matthew 8. Matthew 8, verse 11, he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 8. Jesus pointing forward to a much grander feast to come. The sacrament will give way on that day to what John describes at the very end of the Bible. Near the end of the book of Revelation. John writes, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19. So until he comes, this sacrament proclaims his death. But when he comes, we won't need it anymore. We will know forever 
in the world to come that Jesus died and that he died for us. It's not like we'll forget that. We'll develop some kind of eternal amnesia about sin and salvation. No, we'll know. But in the world to come, we won't need this merely symbolic ritual feast to proclaim it and to remind us of it. We won't need it because we'll have him. We will have him who died and who lives forevermore. So, brothers and sisters, this is our habit. And thank God it is. This is our habit of grace. As often, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what Paul says here. Those are his words and those are the implications of his words. So there we we walk through our passage. There we notice what Paul says here. And then, as I mentioned before, what I want to do now is build on that and take that and reflect together again on why it is that we have the Lord's Supper every week. And hopefully, just by, by making our way through that passage you begin to get a sense of that again. So without apology, I'm going to seize this Sunday as an opportunity to remind you of something that we haven't gone over in a while, which is why do we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday here at New Hope? And you won't be surprised to hear that we've got an article on our church website that helps us here. It's entitled, Why Weekly Communion? And I made sure last night, that it's there for you to check out under our articles heading. It's entitled, Why Weekly Communion? And it was written by a fellow PCA pastor named David Sherwood, who I think serves now a PCA congregation up in Rhode Island, where, I'm also guessing, there are not many PCA churches. But David Sherwood, many years ago, wrote this article entitled, Why Weekly Communion? And he he leads off like this. He says, While the weekly celebration of the Lord's Supper is not common in Protestant churches, and I think we can acknowledge that, I expect we all know that from our own experience, the weekly celebration of the Supper is not common in Protestant churches, but we believe it to be biblical and preferred practice for the following reasons. And then he goes through and starts naming those reasons in order to make the case why it's a good thing, why it's a biblical thing. For us to have that sacrament every Sunday when we get together for worship. I won't go through all of his reasons here, but I do want to point out a few of them. Because I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be reminded why we do this every Sunday. And not just monthly, quarterly, annually. He mentions the practice of the first century church. And he points to passages in the New Testament that imply that in the days of the apostles. They had the supper when they got together for worship. It was their expectation. It was their practice. He mentions as well evidence from church history, not just in the days of the apostles recorded for us in Scripture, but then beyond into the early centuries of the Christian church and the historical records that we have. 
Here's another. He he mentions consistency with the other elements of worship that go into our service. Here's how he puts it. He says, why should the Lord's Supper be the only element of worship which does not find a place in each Lord's Day worship service? He says, to be consistent, any argument against weekly communion would be an equally valid argument against weekly hymn singing and weekly preaching. And he could go on. Another reason he mentions, he calls bringing us back to basics. This is one of my favorites as a minister, as a preacher. He says, regardless of the sermon text or topic, the congregation is always brought back to the fundamentals, the death and resurrection of Christ. I love that. And I take real solace in that, that wherever my preaching ministry roams, from one Sunday to the next, whatever the topic might be, this Sunday or that, I know and you can know that we're always going to go to the cross. Clearly, explicitly. The cross might be brought out front and center in the sermon at some length. It might not. Depending upon the Sunday, depending upon the subject. But we know we're all going there. We're all going back to the basics. Here's another reason that he offers up. He calls it the appeal to the whole man. Since the Lord's Supper is the only element of worship that appeals to all five senses, its weekly observance helps to prevent an intellectualizing of the worship service. He says if we don't celebrate the sacrament frequently, we shouldn't be surprised when our folks leave Reformed worship for something more stimulating. And yes, he puts it in quotes. Something more stimulating. Because it can begin to feel like worship doesn't understand me, doesn't respect me, doesn't appeal to the whole of who I am. So you know what? I'm out of here. And I'm going to try to find some other service, some other tradition that will. Another one he calls opportunity for covenant renewal. He says the Lord's Supper is the ideal means of meditating on God's word and renewing our faith and repentance so that we may serve the Lord in the upcoming week. That's one of the things that happens when the supper is served and when you eat and drink. It is a communion with Christ. It is a communion with one another in which we renew together. Our devotion to him, our consecration to him. And we leave this place and go out in the week to come as those who have feasted, as those who have renewed. Another one he calls identification with the people of God. He says this sacrament stresses the corporate dimension of the church, thereby promoting unity and the restoration of broken relationships. He says, don't we need this every week? That we should be reminded by the supper that we are the church, that we are the family of God. It's a reminder of who we are together. And therefore, it is a challenge when it comes to our relationships toward one another. And he mentioned some others. Church discipline. right? To be suspended from the sacrament. To be excommunicated only carries force insofar as the communion happens. He mentions the proclamation of the gospel to unbelievers. 
We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, not just to ourselves, who have embraced it, who've come to believe, but to those who have not yet come to believe. And he mentions some others. I'll refer you to the article on the website. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more during our sermon discussion. But the point is, there are lots of reasons why this is a good thing. It's a biblical thing to have the Lord's Supper as often as we do. And the verse that we're focusing on here, especially verse 26, is one, one of those reasons, one of those verses. We should want the death of Jesus to be proclaimed. And we should want that for ourselves as believers, even though we're being told something we already know. And we should want that for any who join us in our service who are unbelievers, because maybe it's something they don't already know. We should want the death of Jesus to be proclaimed. And when the supper is served, when we, when you eat and drink, that's what happens. And we should long for that every Sunday. So, brothers and sisters, that's what Paul has to say here in 1 Corinthians 11. And there are some reinforcing considerations as to why it's a good thing that we do this every Sunday. Let let me wrap up with this with just a few points of implication and application. How do we bring this to bear Upon our lives, how should this shape our hearts and lives? There are approximately a thousand points of application that we could go to right now. Take heart, I will not cover a thousand. I'll cover three. One, Christian, take heart, Jesus died and he died for you. Christian, take it personally the way Paul does in Galatians 2, where he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about that the next time you partake of the Lord's Supper, which by my calculations will be in approximately seven minutes. When you eat and drink, you proclaim And what you proclaim is not just that a man named Jesus of Nazareth died. What you proclaim is the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Christian, you're one of them. You're one of the many. And he knows you by name, and he knew you by that name when he died. What you proclaim is the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know that you've heard that before. But in the supper, Jesus tells you something you already know. As I was saying when we got started, the supper is our weekly opportunity to say to Christ, Lord, tell me something I already know. And he says, I will. I'll proclaim it through you, my beloved proclaimers. Whenever you eat and drink. Christian, it is finished. Your sins were paid for in full so that you don't have to. So that you never will. So that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He died. He died for you. 
Christian, take heart. So that's first. Here's the second. Be reminded today. Let's all be reminded and refreshed in our congregation's conviction that this is a good thing to do every Sunday. To have the supper. Because it is. The typical objection to having the Lord's Supper every Sunday is, well, if we do that, it'll become less special. It'll lose its meaning. It will become more likely that people will just go through the motion. Now, let's be honest. The fact is, it might. That might happen. In your own experience, you you very well might allow that to happen. You might allow yourself to get to the point every Sunday when the supper is served that you just go through the motions. Some Christians do, even when it's monthly or quarterly or annually. So it's not a matter of frequency. It's a matter of the heart. Some Christians do. So yes, we can acknowledge that. Cards on the table, we can be candid. You very well might allow that to happen every Sunday. So here's the answer. Don't. Don't let that happen any Sunday. Don't just go through the motions. And by the grace of God, you have the power. God's power, you have that within you. Ball's in your court. The answer to that objection is not, well, okay, we'll make it monthly. Or quarterly. That's no solution. That's no guarantee. The answer is, all right then, every Sunday, lean in with faith. And participate. Heart and mind engaged. So that that doesn't happen. By the grace of God, you can. We can. Every Sunday. Because the power of God, the grace of God, is ours. Every Sunday. The mercies of God are new every morning, including every Sunday morning. So you don't have to settle for some experience in which, oh, we're just going through it again. It doesn't have to be. So don't let it be. And then finally, this a third point of encouragement for us. Let the weekly administration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper among us here at New Hope have the same powerful effect that Paul's saying it should have had among the Christians in Corinth, which is this. It reminds us that there's no place in the Christian church for the kind of divisiveness and backbiting and self-absorption that had taken root among the Christians in Corinth. It was out of place there so long ago. It's out of place right here, right now. So, Christian, let me ask you, how are your relationships with your fellow cross-proclaimers? Because that's what we are. That's what we are here, and we're that together. We are fellow cross-proclaimers. And when the supper is served, when you eat and drink, you commune, we commune together. It's a way of of saying again that we are the people of God, that we are a family of God, and that we ought to love one another like it. Every Sunday when the supper is served, when we eat and drink, we proclaim the message that the Son of God stooped down 
to serve unto death, even death on a cross. And then what? Are we going to rise up from that table in pride and hate one another after proclaiming that kind of condescending humility and love? Then we're going to rise up in backbiting and gossip and slander and all the rest? No, may it never be. Every Sunday we commune with one another and with Christ who died and who lives at the table. Well, then let's live like it. And let's love one another like it. And again, by the grace of God, we can and we have and we shall. As often, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hallelujah. And praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've given us a Savior. And we thank you that you've given us the sacrament. Indeed, our Savior instituted it for us the night before he died. And we thank you that in just a few minutes, it will be served again. And when it is, when we eat and drink, we will proclaim his death, for he has not yet come. Amen.